Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Lasting City podcast. I'm Scott Corian, your host. Well, I recently reread C.S. Lewis's classic book, Mere Christianity, and I came across this line uh, in his chapter on the Christian sexual ethic. He says, quote, chastity is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues, unquote. And I have to admit, when I read that, I had to chuckle because, again, writing that in the 1940s, saying that uh, chastity, that's his term for the Bible, sex ethic, uh, being so unpopular, I couldn't help but wonder what he would say about it now. Uh, Now that we're in the middle of Pride Month, this new liturgical celebration of the sexual revolution, uh, I I wonder what, uh, what he would say. Because to say that the Christian sex ethic is unpopular doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of where we've gotten to since the 1940s. Uh, In fact, the biblical teaching that sex is to be exclusively reserved for the relationship of marriage between a man and a woman, which is what the Bible teaches, uh, is not only increasingly incomprehensible to our society, but it's also increasingly opposed in our society. As far as how incomprehensible it's becoming. I love to share the story. Uh, Maybe you've heard me share this if you're part of our church, but a few years ago, one of my friends in my church in Michigan had a son who was getting married. And the woman, his fiance, had been converted in college and so hadn't grown up in a Christian home and her parents are are not religious at all, uh, have no Christian convictions. And as Christians, they were committed to not having sex until marriage, following you know what the Bible teaches in that area. Well, when the woman's parents found out that they were not sleeping together, they were so baffled by that that they actually pulled her aside and said, "Sweetheart, are are you sure this this young man isn't gay?" Because that's how strange this was to them. Right, the idea that two people, two consenting adults, would not be have, engaging in sexual activity prior to marriage. I mean, it just who, who who does that? Who's heard of that? It's so incomprehensible. So they said, "Is he gay?" I mean, it's just a. I think that's kind of a, a a telling sign of where we are as a society now. But of course, it's not just incomprehensible. Uh, the Christian sexual ethic is increasingly uh, it, it's seen as something wrong, harmful, evil. There, there's increasingly. Uh, opposition to it from the culture, because the sexual revolution of the last several decades has brought new attitudes and beliefs about sex that are in direct opposition to what the Bible teaches. And honestly, there's not a lot of common ground left. And uh, because of that, there's more hostility, particularly to the Bible's teaching on LGBTQ plus issues, which I do plan to speak on later in this podcast series. So all that to say, the last couple of decades since C.S. Lewis wrote those words, we've seen a, a major change, right? Be- before, even, even the time that, that Lewis was writing, I think we could say that the sexual ethic of, of Christianity was perceived as difficult and demanding, yes, and certainly it is that, but it was still an ideal. It was still something to shoot for. It was still good. Now, however— it's not only not an ideal, but it needs to be dismantled. And of course, that's been the goal of the sexual revolution over the last uh, 20 to 30 years and, and even longer than that. 
And, and because of this change, the, the Christian sex ethic has really become the issue for a lot of people. I, I you know, we, we read the statistics of young men and women who are leaving the faith, who grew up in the churches. Well, well, why is that? Well, certainly there's a lot of reasons, but this this is a big one. Christianity is seen as judgmental, and it's really this issue that that's at the forefront there. So a lot of people deconverting because of this. I think it's true a lot of uh, younger people in particular uh, won't even consider Christianity because of its sex ethic, right? If this is what Christianity means, then it can't be good is the idea. So all of that to say, over the next three podcasts, I want to take three because this is a big topic, I want to try and lay out a positive case for the Christian sexual ethic. Why it's not just true, but it's also good. It's for the flourishing of humanity. It's far better for people than the alternatives uh, that the sexual revolution is proposing. So that's where we're going. A uh, quick side note, the material for these podcasts is is largely based off a series of sermons that I, I preached earlier this year from the book of Proverbs. So if you heard those sermons, there will be some overlap in content, but this podcast format allows me to develop the material a little bit more than I could on a Sunday morning, and so I'm, I'm putting, putting it out here. And my hope is... Uh, if you're listening to this and you're someone who's already committed to what the Bible teaches in this area, I, I hope this is helpful confirmation of the truth and goodness of God's design. And if you happen to be listening to this and you're not convinced of what the Bible teaches about this, or, or maybe you're one of the many Americans who who view Christianity, sex ethic as backwards, regressive, harmful, evil, I, I do hope that if nothing else, this imparts a, a better understanding of why Christians believe what we believe and gives you something to think about. So for the next three episodes, I want to engage the sexual revolution first from a historical perspective, then from an experiential perspective, and then finally from a biblical perspective. And so for this first episode, I want to talk about the historical perspective. And this is important. I, I don't think that many people today are aware of what the sexual landscape of the Greco-Roman world was like prior to the arrival of Christianity. And when we understand this, it helps put the Christian sex ethic in a bit of a, a different light, I think. And, and, and we might see that many of the assumptions that we take today as common sense when it comes to this are actually rooted in Christian teaching and Christian theology. Christianity was the original sexual revolution. Christianity brought major sweeping changes to society on a whole lot of levels, but this, the sex ethic was one of those levels. And what I want to do is try to make the case that the Christian sex ethic has been, on the whole, an incredible force for good in the world. The Christian sexual revolution was a good revolution. Uh, of course, I, I acknowledge and realize that, that Christians are sinners, uh, we're we're sometimes hypocrites, and the church has often failed to live up to her own standards. I'm not denying that, and sadly, there continues to be a lot of evidence even today that that is very much still the case. But on the whole, the changes that Christianity brought into the world were good, are good, and we don't want to go back to the sexual order of the pre-Christian world, which ironically, in the name of progress— 
Of course, that's what the sexual revolution has said. This is progress. We're, we're casting off those, those oppressive, restrictive rules, and, and we're, we're taking steps forward. Ironically, the sexual revolution, as we will see, does not represent progress, but regress, historically speaking. Okay, so let's get into it. I, I just want to try to paint a picture of what ancient Rome, the ancient Greco-Roman world, was like with regards to its attitudes and practices on sex and sexuality. Now, just a quick word on sources here. The material that I'm about to get into comes from a, a, a variety of sources, some, some biblical commentaries, uh, but two primarily that I'm working with. One is a book called From Shame to Sin, and in that book, there's a, a whole chapter I, I really just dedicated to unpacking what kind of the, the sexual attitudes and practices were of, of the ancient world where Christianity was birthed. The other source, primary source, which I'll quote from a couple times, is a book called Dominion, written by Tom Holland, published a few years ago. Holland is an atheist, as far as I can tell, uh, but he's very appreciative of the overall influence of Christianity throughout history. So Dominion is a historical work but he's writing about how basically Christian ideas and attitudes and theology have, have really permeated society, and he talks a lot about the Christian sex ethic. So those are kind of the two primary sources. Uh, both are worth reading if you want to go more detail into this. Without further ado then, what was the sexual culture of the ancient Roman world like? Well, the first thing we can say is that it was a highly sexualized society. Sex was everywhere. Uh, sex was not viewed as something sacred. It was more of an appetite to be satisfied. And probably most important to, to understand is that sex in the ancient world was tied to social positions and status and power. So it was kind of like a pyramid with the, the freeborn Roman male representing the top of the pyramid. So to quote Holland from Dominion, there was a brute truth that most in the capital took for granted, the potency of a Roman penis. Sex was nothing if not an exercise of power. As captured cities were to the swords of the conquerors, so the bodies of those used sexually were to the Roman man." End quote. Tragically and disturbingly, Rome, of course, was a slave society, and masters had rights over their slaves, and that included sexual rights. And that was normal and accepted. Masters basically did what they wanted to do. So again, to quote Holland from Dominion, uh, he says, and I, I warn you, some of these quotes here are, are a little graphic, but I think it's important to understand what, what it was like. He says, to be penetrated, male or female, was to be branded as inferior, while the body of a freeborn Roman was sacrosanct. Those of others were fair game. It is accepted that every master is entitled to use his slave as he desires. In Rome, men no more hesitated to use slaves and prostitutes to relieve themselves of their sexual needs than they did to use the side of a road as a toilet, end quote. So again, pretty disturbing stuff. Here, here's another quote from this time from Shame to Sin. Slaves played something like the part of masturbation has played in most cultures, namely uh, to relieve needs. It's a pretty disturbing stuff there. Here's a, a quote from actually a, a contemporary Roman author writing, I think, in the first century. If your loins are swollen and there's some homeborn slave boy or girl around where you can quickly stick it, would you rather burst with tension? 
not I. I like an easy lay, end quote. So again, re- shocking, uncomfortable, but that that was normal. That was normal uh, for the day. Brothels and prostitution in the ancient Roman world were a huge industry. The, the sex trade, the flesh industry w- was huge. Uh, brothels and prostitution were primarily made up of slaves and poor women. And although it might seem strange from our perspective, brothels and prostitution were treated as a public good. And you say, how could that be? Well, the, the idea in the ancient world was that prostitution was necessary and brothels were necessary to prevent adultery. The idea, the thinking was, well, we can't actually expect men not to have sex with multiple women, but we don't want them going after other men's wives because so, that would be bad. We don't want them having sex with legitimate women, so we need the brothels and the prostitutes to to be there for them so that they can relieve themselves. So here, here's a quote from Shame to Sin. The prostitute's body acted as a safety valve for male lust. It keeps men from going after other men's wives. Prostitutes like the bathhouses were a public good, end quote. So again, really disturbing stuff. Now, with respect to marriage in the ancient Roman world, there was a double standard both before and after. Before, women were expected not to engage in in any sexual activity, while men, it was just understood, would. Uh, And after marriage, the same was true. Women were expected to be faithful. Men, it was understood, would would constantly be visiting prostitutes and brothels. So here, here's a quote from Plutarch giving advice to wives of that time. Quote, if he, meaning your husband, if he makes some slip with a slave girl, do not bear it too gravely and consider that he wishes to spare you from his debauchery, end quote. So you got to love that, right, wives? You know, if your husband sleeps with another woman, uh, he, he's doing you a favor. He's, he's trying to spare you his debauchery. So be thankful for that, right? As far as homosexuality goes, it was an accepted practice at that time for men to have sex with adolescent boys. But it, it really did matter what age the boys were. So according to Shame to Sin, age dynamics were at the core of acceptable same-sex love in the Roman world. 16 to 18 years of age were the acceptable years with the propriety decreasing by degrees with distance, if they're much younger than that or much older than that. However, even in this practice, you, you could only have sex acceptably with slave boys. There was an absolute prohibition of doing that with freeborn boys because the body of the, the free Roman man was impenetrable. Okay, so there's more to say there. That's kind of a, a very quick overview. But, but so, so imagine that that's the society that Christianity is given birth into. And into this highly sexualized society comes a new movement, preaching a view of sex totally different. Sex is not an appetite to be satisfied. People are not to be used or exploited for your sexual gratification. Not not every sexual impulse is good or should be acted upon. Marriage bed should be honored by all. And this is what the Christian church was teaching. We have uh, John Chrysostom, one of the early church preachers. We have some of his sermons, and he would preach against adultery and prostitution. Here's a quote from one of his sermons. He says, I am not unaware that most think it is adultery only to violate a married woman, but I say that it is wicked and licentious adultery for a man with a wife to have an affair 
even with a public whore, a slave girl, or any other woman without a husband, end quote. That's really interesting, right? We, we take it for granted what adultery is, but but at the time he was preaching this, that, that wasn't the case. And so he, he has to challenge the, the cultural norms here, and, and, and the, he and other preachers and the churches did that. Christianity, moreover, brought a completely new teaching of the worth, value, and dignity of every human being, whether they be male or female, slave or free, uh, opposed to the exploitation, particularly of slaves, that was so common at that time. And while it did take several centuries, slowly but surely, the new sexual standards of the church won over. They became normalized in society. And on the whole, can't we agree that the Christian sex ethic has brought a lot of good. I guess this is what I'm what I'm driving at this episode. So let me ask you, do, do you believe that all people should be treated with dignity and respect regardless of gender or social status? If you agree with that, you have the Christian sexual revolution to thank. Uh, do you believe that power does not make it okay to use and exploit other people sexually or just because you're rich or just because you have a lot of power, you can take advantage of others? If you if you think that that's wrong to do, to ex- be able to exploit people like that, you have the Christian sexual revolution to thank for that. Uh, do you believe that men ought to be completely faithful to their wives and that there shouldn't be a, a double standard between men and women? Well, you have the Christian sexual revolution to thank for that. Do you believe that brothels and prostitution that exploit usually the most vulnerable and poor women in the world is an evil that should be stopped? Well, if you do, you have the Christian sexual revolution to thank for that. And, and even if you're not a Christian or, or committed completely to Christianity, I think we can appreciate the good that the Christian sexual revolution has brought into the world. And this is why I, I really like Tom Holland in his book, Dominion, because this is what essentially he, he does from an atheist point of view. And in one part of Dominion, he actually has a section where he he writes about the recent Me Too movement in our own country. And if you remember what that was, the Me Too movement was a campaign that urged women to report incidents of sexual harassment or assault under the hashtag Me Too, uh, which was a way of giving voice to all women, the most marginalized and vulnerable women, the, the janitors, the hotel housekeepers, you know, rise up and, and, and speak against sexual abuse and exploitation that that happens. And on, on 21 January, a few years ago, a million women marched about this basic equality of all people. And then after talking about the Me Too movement, here's what Holland has to say. I'm going to read this quote and then explain it, but but listen to it. He says, implicit in the Me Too movement was the same call to sexual continence that had reversed throughout the church's history. The human body was not an object, not a commodity to be used by the rich and powerful as and when they pleased. 2,000 years of Christian sexual morality had resulted in men and women widely taking this for granted. Had it not, then the Me Too movement would have not had any force, end quote. Okay, so what's he saying there? It's really a brilliant observation. He's basically saying that without the original Christian sexual revolution, there would have been no Me Too movement, because the very idea that was at the heart of the Me Too movement, namely 
Rich and powerful men should not be able to take advantage of and use their power to exploit others. That very idea is rooted in Christian thinking. And if you tried to have a hashtag Me Too movement in ancient Rome, it wouldn't have gone anywhere because nobody believed that, right? Christianity brought that into the world. Okay, the the point, of course, being the, the sexual revolution of Christianity represented incredible progress, historically speaking, and the current sexual revolution of the last several decades does not represent progress, but regress, with its rejection of sex as sacred and is more of just an appetite to be satisfied with the downplaying of marriage as the appropriate context uh, for sexual activity. Uh, the current sexual revolution actually represents a going backwards towards pre-Christian Rome, pagan views of sexuality. And I'll end this episode just by saying, I don't think we want to go back there. Maybe there's some people out there that do say, yeah, that's what we want. But I don't think most people do. The, the sexual world prior to Christianity was a brutal sexual world where people were used and abused and sexual exploitation was normal and accepted. The Christian teaching on the image of God, the need for fidelity in marriage, the not exploiting people sexually because we're all made in the image of God, this all brought about incredibly good changes that have benefited so many people over the centuries. Okay. Well, that's all for this episode. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll be back with another episode on this topic in the next couple of weeks. Goodbye. 